after a Texas duo made my underrated prospects yesterday, another Texas duo makes my overvalued prospects today. It's the most overvalued prospects in the 2024 draft class on today's Renner Ranks. This is Renner Ranks, the ultimate NFL ranking show. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to today's episode of Renner Ranks, your go-to daily ranks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, and especially thank you to all the everydayers out there for making Renner Ranks your first lesson. Listen, yikes. Do not forget, you can subscribe, follow on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. And I, of course, am your host, NFL Draft Analyst, Mike Renner. Today's podcast brought to you by the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app, create an account. Use code Lockdown NFL for twenty dollars off. Twenty dollars off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Yesterday we did underrated prospects, guys who I think deserve a little bit more hype at this point in the process. It obviously is incredibly early on. Now we're turning our attention to the flip side of the coin, and I hate to say these, I hate to call these guys overrated because all but two of these guys, you know, all but one of these guys, excuse me, that we're going to get to today are top hundred players on my board. When you're a top 100 player, I still think you're going to be a good pro- prospect, right? Like, I still think that's a guy that could turn into a good pro. It's just about, are you valuing him as a top 25, top 50 player? Or is he more of a back end of the top 100 player? Because there's a big difference in the draft capital you're outweighing to draft a player like that. And there's a big difference in the expectations for what you're getting when you're drafting a player at those two points in the draft. And so this isn't to hate on any of these guys. There's more to hate on the other draft analysts out there, actually. It's to say that those guys don't know what the heck they're talking about. Because I use the consensus board that's over at The Athletic right now. I'm obviously joking. Love all my other draft analysts out there. My favorite part about the draft, anyone can have an opinion. It's what I did when I was a 12-year-old, read these draft magazines. And it's still what I do now. So, it's again, not trying to hate on anyone. This is purely because you guys come here. You come here for my opinion. And so I'm going to give it. But The Athletic's consensus board is out go to the athletic.com they have their top 50 up there so i'll be referencing that with a lot of these players and then be referencing my draft board which again comes out tomorrow top 100 players very excited for that to drop let's get right into it though first one and i'm going to be going for the guys who are ranked the highest on the consensus board to the lowest on the consensus board um, a couple didn't even make the top 50 there but i still wanted to touch on them first one though is emeke egbuka the ohio state wide receiver he is ranked 14th at the moment on the athletic consensus board. 14th. He had 35 catches, 451 yards, four touchdowns this season. Now was a little banged up, but still played 239 receiving snaps. Averaged fewer than two yards per route run per PFF. Watching his tape, the juice is just lacking. He is not a vertical threat. And yeah, we said the same thing about Jackson Smith and Jigba, but Jackson Smith and Jigba had elite change of direction ability. You saw that in his three cone. I mean, he ran the six sixes with his three cone pre-draft. That's what it took to be the guy that can separate consistently at the underneath intermediate level. With Igbuka, I don't see that same caliber of suddenness on his route breaks, whether it's in-breakers, outbreakers, slants, that sort of thing, to be able to create what it takes to constantly get open at the NFL level on those sort of routes that guys like Cooper Cup, Amon Ross St. Brown, and obviously we're seeing somewhat of Jackson and the Jigba live on now at the next level. Like you have to have the goods in that regard. I don't see it with Ibuka. 
over the course of his collegiate career, eight deep receptions only, six in 2022 to this past season. That's not really part of his game. He is not a pure vertical threat. That's why he took most of his snaps from the slot at Ohio State. And I trust Brian Hartline to know what he's doing, right? Like if he's playing your number two wide receiver, the guy who's, you know, your second best threat across Marvin Harrison, he's playing him from the slot. It's probably because that's where his skill set is best suited. I think that is what it is. And yeah, he can be reliable. I think there's a lot of good aspects to his game. Yeah, the size is great. Six foot one, 206 pounds, very solidly built, can play through contact, can win at the catch point because of that, can get a little separation with just size, right? He can kind of bounce smaller corners when they get their hands on him. But it was easy for guys to get their hands on him. To me, the comp, the guy who I kept going back to when watching his tape is Juju Smith-Schuster. And I just see him as a guy who probably has a high floor, but probably also a low ceiling. And that's that's not a 14th overall pick type of guy, right? Juju Smith-Schuster went 62nd overall. If you're redrafting that draft, where does a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster go? Probably still in the second round. He's a guy who's going to be very dependent on his situation for production at the next level. He is not a guy who's going to transcend maybe a lesser quarterback play, uh, you know, transcend his role to still put up big numbers. He's a guy who, if he goes to the right system, if he's a number two in a high functioning system with an elite quarterback, he'll probably put up multiple thousand yard seasons. If he goes somewhere, like if he's drafted number 14 overall, you're probably expecting him to be a number one and gets utilized in that manner. I, I think you'll probably be a little disappointed when you're getting. So I have him 62nd on my draft board. I think he's a very solid player. 62nd is still a second round pick. That is actually, I was just a coincidence. I just realized that's where Juju Smith-Schuster got picked. I didn't realize that until right now, but that's just the kind of player I see him as. All right, on to the next Ohio State guy. I started off with a bang. It's not because I was at the game where they won on the last second play earlier this season against Notre Dame. It's definitely not because of that. Because actually, Buka had a good game. That might have been his best game all season. Uh, and JT Tuimalau, who's next on this list, the defensive end from Ohio State, he didn't play badly in that game either. But I just expect more from a guy, more production at the minimum, from a guy who's 6'4", 270, with his level of play strength. I just didn't see it consistently translate to production at the collegiate level even. Uh, and now he's only a junior, only a couple of years as a starter. Um, but I just saw, thought that for a guy who's ranked 22nd on the athletic consensus board, I saw more of a day two type of player on tape because one, he struggles to get off blocks and finish plays. That was somewhat of a constant over the course of his career. He only had 11 sacks and 30 run stops in two seasons as a starter, pretty much playing a full-time workload there at Ohio State. That's like less than, you know, it's one play a game versus the run, basically, that he's making for a guy who, you know, at 6'4", 270, should be a impact high-end run defender, it, just with his physical ability. And that's worrisome because that's, a, that's like, those guys really show out on college tape, right? The, the guys who, who are powerful who win with power because they're going up against guys who just cannot have no recourse to that aspect of their game right they're going up against guys who really are not in any way shape or form capable of holding up to if jt to him allow wanted to bull rush consistently 
And now I did see some good reps from him against Olufashano. Like that, if I didn't see that game against Penn State against Olufashano this year, where he actually walked him back in the pocket on numerous occasions, he may not have even made my top 50. So the power is there to still produce at the NFL level. I'm not saying it's not. Again, when you're fourth best player on the board, that's still you're projecting a good player. But I worry about his tight ankles bending the edge. You saw when he tried to corner on off his tackles, he'd slip, he'd fall, good push past the pocket. Um, he's just a very linear dude. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think a lot of the guys who have won in that sort of mold or have been impact high-end players are actually shorter than him. It, it behooves you when you're a bull rush only kind of guy to be on the squattier end of the position. Guys like Brandon Graham, guys like Elvis Doomerville really are, are some of the better players in that real tight linear mold who have been productive at the NFL level, whereas two of them allow, and those are like 6'2 and under guys, whereas two of them allow at 6'4, you saw him get out leveraged, can get moved off the line, can get forklifted a little bit on tape. So definitely some worries, definitely some things just that I'm not going to go to bat for him as a first rounder. But again, the traits are great. He could very well be a much better NFL player than he ever was in college. But you can go whole games watching Ohio State and just not really notice JT Tuomila, which is when you're that physically gifted, that should not be the case. All right, before we get to an offensive tackle up next, Taste Pocket is brought to you by Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry about buying tickets to your next event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy all tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know what to expect when you arrive. All-in prices show your total upfront, so you know you're getting a great deal without those hidden fees. Buy tickets in seconds with two taps. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off your first purchase. That's Game Time app. Code locked on NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Up next is BYU offensive tackle Kingsley Suamataia from, like I said, BYU twice there. He's six foot six, 315 pounds, a junior. I believe he's already declared for the NFL draft. And this one was the single biggest discrepancy of anyone on this list. 32nd on the consensus board, I have him 95th on my draft board. Barely cracked the top 100. I'm getting massive Austin Jackson vibes with Kingsley Suamadaia because to me, project offensive tackles, a guy who truly needs to kind of be like built from the ground up sort of thing, like guys who don't have kind of technique, like really need to have it be built up over time is a three to four year proposition before you have them see the football field. And to me, that's not a first rounder. If I can't play that guy for three to four years, and now the Dolphins again found that all the hard way with Austin Jackson, that for three years, he was darn near unplayable, but they had to play him because he was a top 20 pick. And when he's top 20 pick, you have to play him. Fourth year, finally starts to kind of figure it out. And then, oh, by the way, I have to just pay him a lot of money right now. They just had to sign him to a big extension because he's the only option still. at right tackle is anywhere near competent. So, I'm not saying Kingsley Suamadia is never going to figure it out, but the hand use is just scary. There are some plays in the run game where his body control really would give me pause, and it's because he plays so high. 
he, he really is straight up into contact consistently. And now he's a freak of nature. The fact that he can move as well as he can at that size, playing as high as he does, is special. He was a top 10 Bruce Feldman freaks list guy. He's going to blow up the combine. That's why he declares early in this draft because traits like that still get drafted highly at the offensive tackle position. I just cannot see him starting anytime soon. That's it. I, and when that's the case, why Why am I drafting a guy? Why am I wasting a rookie contract? It's I get that tackles are difficult to find. Elite ones are very hard to find. And he has sort of the you know quote-unquote traits that a lot of the elite guys do, but there's also a lot of guys with elite traits who are sitting at home watching TV on Sundays because they couldn't hack it at office tackle in the NFL because it's still a skill first position. All right, on to safety, Kalen Bullock from USC. I don't mean to be hating on all the teams Notre Dame's played this year, but Kalen Bullock, six foot three, 190 pound junior, 40th on the consensus board at the athletic. I have him 71st. And if you listen to the safety episode, I don't want to rehash a bunch of this stuff. You know why I'm a little bit lower on him. And I think a lot of this is just people maybe not, you know, having their prior preseason takes on Kalen Bullock and not necessarily reviewing this year's tape. Run defense, tackling, not a super physical player, 6'3, 190, super skinny, just not a guy who I think is quite built for the NFL game just yet. I mean, he needs to add 10 to 15 more pounds before I'm ready to throw him to the wolves, uh, ready to have him take on blocks, ready to have him trying to guard tight ends one-on-one, -on -one, uh, trying to tackle running backs in the hole. Like there's just a lot of things at his size right now that I'm worried about. Talent's still off the charts. I, I'm still a fan of his game. Again, 71st is nothing to sneeze at for a prospect, but it wouldn't even surprise me if he comes back to school because he needs to put on some weight and get a lot stronger before he gets to the next level. And a guy who doesn't need to get any stronger is the next guy in this list. Xavier Leggett, South Carolina wide receiver. One of the biggest breakout prospects in this year's class. He's six foot three, 227 pounds, an absolute horse of a build. That that should be conjuring up some players in your mind, right? On one end of the scale, you have the Ole Miss duo. You have AJ Brown. You have DK Metcalf. Ooh, that's getting you excited, right? On the other end of the scale, though, you have Traylon Burks and you have Nikhil Harry. Ooh, that's not getting you nearly as excited, is it? I tend to see him somewhere in between, truthfully, because his game is so much like DK Metcalf's. This year, 71 catches, 1,255 yards, 17.7 per. Go ball demon. I mean, he's very difficult on the pure vertical tree to guard. Probably going to run in the low four fours at his size. That's, you know, and to me, he looks faster than even like Traylon, more explosive, more linearly explosive than even Traylon Burks Dante. Burks has had a little more shake to him, was obviously younger as Xavier Leggett is a fifth year player, redshirt senior. And that's one of my other worries about Leggett. Five years, four years at South Carolina, his first four years, never had more than 167 yards in a season, never was even a starter. And if you know anything about wide receiver scouting and sort of thresholds and in, in the position and how it's, you know, translated from college to the NFL, you know that guys who produce early on in their careers have a much stronger track record than guys who break out late in their careers. You want the skilled players. You want the guys with the innate receiving skill, not the guys who necessarily got bigger and stronger than everyone else and then all of a sudden could produce at the collegiate level. You want the guys who didn't need that in the first place and then who get that over time. And so that's, I think, one of the another red flag is profile that's a little worrisome to me is that He's a pure vertical tree sort of guy. Like, like he is 
going to run the route that DK Metcalf does. And he's, you know, I think DK's route tree really only works because he's such a freak of nature because he's, you know, even bigger than Leggett, even faster than Leggett. Like he is on his own plane of pure linear explosiveness that for as impressive an athlete as Leggett is still can't touch. And I think if you're not quite that, I just struggle to see you being consistent when that's really all you have to hang your hat on because he doesn't turn exceptionally well, not a refined route runner, not necessarily a guy that I'm pumping screens to and asking him to do a lot after the catch either. So I'm just going to be lower on that guy, right? I'm just going to, and especially in a deep, deep wide receiver class where there's a lot of other options that I feel a little bit more comfortable with. So why Xavier Leggett ends up 69th on my board here. And the next guy on this list is truthfully in almost darn near identical boat, but at the tight end position. And it is Texas's Jatavion Sanders. Tight end, six foot four, 242. True junior, 48th on the consensus board. I have him 84th on my board. And it's not because of production concerns. Last two seasons, over 600 yards. This year, 39 catches. A lot of big plays, 15.6 yards per catch. He is a high-end explosive athlete for the position. He's going to run, at least in the four fives, could get faster than that, I could say. Probably going to jump out the gym. Like He's going to have those you know, vertical jump, broad jump, 40. Knock them all out the park, for sure. My problem comes when he does anything other than run in this in a line, right? And, and now he doesn't have bad hands. It's not like he does is going to drop a ton of footballs, but it's just going to be such a limited way that he has to be utilized because he's not a guy who I think can win one on one fairly consistently. He struggles when guys get their hands on him. I, I saw him try to get physical with a rice linebacker, trying to do that thing where you kind of get a shoulder in there and then kick back out to the outside, you know, on a little out route, you know, the Michael Mayer special. Jason Witten special and the rice linebacker just knocked him straight on his ass. Like he is not at 242. He's not a overtly physical 242 that I, I think he can impose his will. And you also saw that in the running game. He is a legitimate liability one-on-one. -on -one. I saw Dallas Turner, the Alabama defensive end legitimately lift him off the ground, like two hands into his chest. And Jatavian Sanders didn't have a foot on the ground for, about half a second, and then got put back down by Dallas Turner. That's concerning. So he's a one-trick speed guy with size that probably won't be respected in the run game at the next level that I'm not sure what he is then. And now he's still young, only a junior. Guy can obviously develop, but I was getting big-time Irv Smith vibes watching his tape where it's just he's more athlete than football player at this point. And now tight ends a position where you can definitely develop that, right? You can develop athletes, but you want an athlete that has a little bit more of a well-rounded athletic profile, just pure speed. I don't care what position you're playing in the NFL. Oftentimes is wildly, wildly overrated. And so that's why I'm just a little lower on Damian Sanders. All right, before we get to one of his Texas teammates, this podcast brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. 
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, make the process even easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockdownNFL. That's linkedin.com slash LockdownNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, that Texas teammate I was discussing earlier, it's none other than Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback. I Now, he didn't actually make the top 50 on the athletic consensus board. I just want to go to bat for the case that he needs to come back to Texas, even if he balls out in this playoff. I, I'm going to more get on a soapbox here about quarterback position in general and quarterback development, truthfully. This is a guy who should be a sophomore. Now, he will be 21 if he does declare for the draft next year as a rookie. It's not like he's super young to be uh, coming out in the draft. But his graduating class, if you'll recall, coming out of high school, he reclassified to go to Ohio State to get a million dollars of NIL money, then transferred last two years at Texas. Should have been, had he not reclassified, his freshman and sophomore years in college football. So from that perspective, he's behind, behind the eight ball developmentally in that he's just a year behind or a year early of what everyone else has been uh, for the vast majority of college football history. From that perspective, he's behind. From another perspective, in terms of only 719 career dropbacks, that is about a season worth of dropbacks in the NFL. Has he played his entire collegiate career? And yeah, it's been over two years of starter, but he's been banged up quite a bit over those two years. And this Texas offense, 40% of his yards is here, screens and RPOs. It's not a, you know, just because he's dropping back to pass every time does not mean it's a lot of stuff that's necessarily translatable or even, you know, developmentally preparing him for the NFL. And I'm a fan of his game. I mean, the tools are there. The arm talent, the ability, off-platform, accuracy. Guy's a gamer. I love that he's show, shown up in pretty much every big moment um, in most games over the course of his career. Like he and the people in Texas even rave about him. They've even saying like, you know, in practice, he's kind of ho-hum. But in the games, it turns into a different animal. Love that about him. But Texas this year was kind of on easy mode. We, I raved about their wide receivers, Adonai Mitchell. Xavier Worthy, I kind of just hated under Tavion Sanders, but even he for a college tight end, still darn good. Uh, you know, like to have a guy who runs a 4-4 tight end is pretty darn sick to have at the collegiate level. So there's a lot of layups in that offense. I still go back to the Oklahoma game, very first play of the game. He throws a slant into an inside leverage cornerback, throws one of the worst picks I saw all season. Like I, he just needs more reps. And in that game, you saw him also struggle with his pocket presence, holding on to the football, took five sacks in that game when he wasn't under pressure that much against Oklahoma's defense. It was just things that the more he plays football, the more he'll clean up. And why I say this kind of a rant about quarterback development, I think you're seeing from Bo Nix this year, from Jaden Daniels this year, and it goes back to the old Bill Belichick, not Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells adage about senior quarterbacks, three-year starters, is that guys need to develop in a way that's kind of the next step. They need to prove mastery at one level before you get to the next. It's such a complex position like quarterback. 
it's like, why does baseball have single A, double A, triple A before you get to the majors? It's because you need to, or not everyone needs to necessarily, but a lot of guys need that incremental improvement where there's just a, something a little bit more challenging and then just a little bit more challenging and then a little bit more challenging until they've completely mastered that. And then they can move up a level to where then they're starting back at the bottom where then it's, you know, just a little more challenging, a little more challenging, a little more challenging. And I think you've seen that with guys like Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, where when there's such a fish out of water, when you're so wholly unprepared for the leap that is the level of football you're at to the next level of football, that the development stops. It ceases to, you cease to get these incremental progressions. You cease to have small wins because you're so far away. It's such a daunting task that it completely shoots your confidence. It completely shoots your ability to basically reinforce <laughs> small wins towards your goals and you turn into a fish out of water. And so I, I worry about Quinn Ewers being kind of that if you were to declare for the draft this year. And now maybe he goes and absolutely demolishes Washington and Alabama in the playoff. And we're talking about a guy who's in the running for a top five pick, right? Maybe. Who knows? But I think if he looks like what he's looked like for the vast majority of this year, I just want to see him play more football. And the more football he plays, I think the higher his draft stock's going to climb. That's how good he is. So just stay in college. You're making good money at Texas. I'm pretty darn sure of it. And Arch Manning ain't replacing you anytime soon because Quinn Ewers is pretty darn talented in his own right. So there's my soapbox take. He, he just needs more seasoning. He needs more football. And if he comes out this year, he's not going to be nearly as highly drafted as he could be if he comes back next year and cleans up a lot of things that aren't super hard to clean up. I'll say like, it's not like bad things. The guy just needs to play more football and develop at the correct level for him. All right. Last player on this before we get out of here, stop hating on dudes. And it's Tez Walker, the North Carolina wide receiver. He was one of the biggest storylines earlier this season where he's initially ruled ineligible to play after transferring from Kent state finally gets ruled eligible to play midway through the season racks up nearly 700 yards in eight games, 10 deep receptions over that span, a guy that can flat out fly. But every year we do this, every year an overhyped guy who has elite linear speed, but not much else to his game, whether it's Jalen Hyatt last year, Tyquan Thornton a couple years ago, Dwayne Eskridge the year before that. That's a one-trick pony. Speed's great. That's why I talked with Javon Sanders. Speed is a great trait to have. But flat-out sprint speed is not what matters when we talk about speed at the NFL level. It is the speed that you can control at the wide receiver position. So running in a straight line is great, and it will help you on a few routes. But can you control it to get open consistently to break off of that speed? to sell vertical routes and then stop on a dime. I saw him run a comeback at the sticks. So go to 12 yards, back to 10 yards on the outside. It took him over four yards by the, when he, from when he started stopping to when he finally stopped. That ain't going to fly at the NFL level. That flat out is not. You watch a guy like Tank Dell run that route, he stops in less than two yards, sometimes one. That's what it takes to get open at the NFL level. 
And so for as much speed as the guy has, if you cannot throttle that speed, if you cannot control that speed, I don't really care. It's There's so few times where you're just running in a straight line, especially at the wide receiver position. Tight end, maybe not as much. Tight end runs a different route tree for sure. But at the wide receiver position on the outside, when you're a six foot two, 200 pounder, and so I don't have Tez Walker in my top 100. Love the speed, but he's a guy that you bring on the field five to 10 times a game. You know the routes he's going to run. The defense knows the routes he's going to run too. But he's to the degree that where it doesn't really matter if you forget about him, he can make a big play. But he's not a guy I'm drafting in the top 50, not a guy I'm drafting truthfully in the top 100. Because if you want speed, the free agency market's littered with guys who run the four threes who can't really play the wide receiver position. Heck, Kansas City Chiefs signed one of Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and they're regretting that uh, and have regretted it for a while now. So that's kind of how I see a guy like Devontae Walker. And again, not to say that he can't have a role at the NFL level, but it's just not a role that I am valuing highly as. Now, he didn't make the athletic top 50, but I've seen him on other top 50s and top 75s. And again, just saying, I think he might be a touch, touch overvalued. All right, there it is for my underrated, overvalued prospect so far. Make sure to go check out the top 100 on themessenger.com. When it drops, we'll be doing a little bit more content off of that top 100 here. And some of the players this upcoming week also will have Austin Gale on later this week as well. Hoping to get another draft analyst to react to some of their rankings here for Friday's episode. TBD on that. Until then, you've been listening to Renner Ranks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.